So I was at Kroger, where all good things can be found. And I was at the fruit section because, you know, by the way, official announcement, I'm cycling again. I've been released to be able to cycle again. So that was really neat for me. Now, some of you are thinking, all right, he's got a Harley. No, I mean pedal. Okay? So, because I couldn't for a while, and, and now they've told me, go ahead and do it. So when I cycle, I like to go home after it's over, and I get either an apple or an orange. My body is craving it for some reason. So I go to Kroger to pick out the reddest, ripest, crispest apples I can find. So I'm there. And I'm headed up to the apple section, and this little old lady got in front of me. And I blessed her in Jesus' name. And she got in front of me. And I thought, well, this won't take long because she's looking at the apples. But here's what she started doing. She picked an apple up. She's doing this. And then she's doing. And she's checking this one apple out. And I said, you're going to ruin that apple for me. Uh, But anyway, every single apple she chose, she checked it out. Then put it in the bag. I'm having to put on Jesus and put off the flesh. Because she must have stood there five, ten minutes picking out apples. But I thought this to myself. She's wiser than a lot of Christians. Because she's concerned about putting something bad into her body. All right? So she's checking for ripeness. She's checking for bruises. She's checking for uh, if, if it's a good apple or if it's edible or if it's not. And she put several of them back. I couldn't find anything wrong with them, but she did. She was a pro. But now, here's the deal. She checked something out before she ate it with her physical body. But did you know that Jesus told us to check fruit? Well, you mean I'm supposed to stand at apples and do that? No. The fruit being check what you take into your soul before you do it. Check what you take into your soul before you bite into it. Did you know that he said to do that? I'm going to read it to you today, and I'm going to spend one more Sunday on false prophets. So why are you spending four weeks on it now, Jeff? Well, because Jesus emphasized it, the apostles emphasized it, and if they were that concerned about it, then I want to spend some time on it because clearly there's something the Lord wants us to see. So I'm going to read out of Matthew 7, verse 15. You can see it up there. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. And let's see what Jesus said. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He's wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount with this warning. Beware of the false prophets. Beware means watch out. Who come to you, how? In sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are ravenous, vicious, predatory wolves. You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by what? In other words, he's saying check the fruit out before you eat it. All right. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles or plants with stickers on them, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, and the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. As goes the root, so goes the fruit. Whatever the root is is what the fruit will be. Got it? Now, verse 18, uh, verse 19 rather, every tree that does not bear good fruit, here's the, the fate of false prophets, every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, 
So then, now read this with me, everybody. I want everybody to read it out loud with me. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Who's the you? You. Who's the you? Me. Us. He didn't just say the preachers. He said, you, my followers, you will know them by their fruit. Amen. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it in Jesus' name. Give us wisdom, discernment, understanding, knowledge. Help us to be discriminating. Help us to recognize what is of God and what is not. Help us to eat only good fruit, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tell your neighbor, perk up and listen. This may save your life. Amen. Now, Jesus is warning about false prophets, right? Now, I'm never going to stand up here and say anything where I'm not springing from the Word of God. I'm not saying what the Word of God says. Now, here's our Lord and Savior who saved our soul, who died on the cross for our sins. And I've pointed out to you the last few weeks that in the Olivet Discourse, that's what it's called, when he uh, sat on the Mount of Olives and and gave us the longest prophecy of his ministry. It covers Matthew 24 and 25, Luke 21, and Mark 13. The same Olivet Discourse given in three of the four Gospels. Okay? So in Matthew 24, four times Jesus warns us about false prophets, warns us about false teachers, warns us about a false word four times. Okay? Now, he, he warned us of, of um, earthquakes once. And, and talking about in the last days. There's going to be an increase in earthquakes, in pestilences, in famines. By the way, COVID is a pestilence. Uh, of pestilences, earthquakes, famines, persecution, wars. He, he, he warned us one time. But when it came to false prophets and false teachers, he warned us four times in one chapter. Beware of false Christ. Beware of false prophets. False Christ. False prophets. Those who say, I am the Christ, and they are not. They will lead many astray in the last days. And then he said, if possible, they will deceive even the very elect, which is the saved, the sanctified, the blood-bought children of God. If possible, they will deceive even them. They'll be so convincing. Jesus said that, not Jeff. And your New Testament, the same New Testament told you how to get saved, tells you how to live in Jesus, bring forth fruit. That New Testament, uh, written to all the churches, you will find that many of them are are filled with warnings against false prophets. 1 Corinthians warns against false prophets. Galatians against false prophets. Colossians against false prophets. 1 John, the sub-theme of 1 John is warning against false prophets. 2 Peter warns against false prophets. 1 Peter warns against false prophets. If, if, if it's all through the New Testament, there must be a reason. Hello, everybody, because that, that, those are not the letters of men. Those are the letters where men were moved on by the Holy Spirit, and they wrote the things that God was moving on them to write. So God himself is warning us, particularly in the last days, that false prophets and false teachers and false Christs are going to proliferate, they're going to multiply, and they're going to be everywhere. And you're going to be confronted by them.
you're going to be approached by them. They're in Christian bookstores. They're on Christian TV. They're on Christian radio. They're in conferences. They are, they come to you individually. They come to you collectively. And Jesus said, you think they're going to be easy to spot, but they're not easy to spot at all because they're going to come to you disguised. They're going to wear a sheep's clothing, a sheep disguise. Well, why? Okay, if I'm a, if I'm, well, put it this way. Why would they put on a sheep disguise? One reason, because they want sheep to think they are one. They want sheep to think they are a sheep. They want sheep to think that they're real. So they're going to put on a disguise, and so they're not easy to spot at all. They'll say nine right things and one false thing, but that one false thing is a hook that is designed to pull you away. It'll be a hook where the Christian life is falsely represented, Christ is falsely represented, Christian living is falsely represented, what the Bible says is falsely represented. Jesus, they they will create another Jesus. See, there's the Jesus of the Bible and there's the Jesus some people make up. They create their own Jesus. They create the Jesus they need to accommodate the theology they want to teach. But it's a false Jesus. That's why you need to know who the real Jesus is. And if you want to know who the real Jesus is, you better read the red in your Bible. Read the red ink. Because that's the words of Jesus. Read about the real Jesus. What he did say, what he didn't say, what he would do, what he wouldn't do. Become extremely familiar with him. Because false Christs and false prophets are proliferating, especially in a day of social media. Everybody on social media is a prophet. I've seen people in their uh, uh, Mickey Mouse pajamas with a cup of coffee saying, I had a dream last night. Here's what it was. It was from God. And you listen to it, and it's crazy, baby. He said, no, 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 no. That was your pizza. That wasn't God. (laughs) See, the whole reason there's a false prophet is because there are real prophets. See, prophecy is real. The gifts of the Spirit are real. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14. Elaborate on clearly, distinctly, uh, voluminously on the gifts of the Spirit. One of them is the gift of prophecy, but another one is the gift of discernment. Now remember, a false prophet is not somebody that just predicts the future. Matter of fact, in my experience, the predicting of the future is more, far more rare than the other kind of prophecy, which is speaking in the name of God, speaking to the now in the name of God. Like right now, technically speaking, I'm prophesying to you. I am declaring the word of God to you, and that is a form of prophesying. That, that's what prophecy means. Propheteia, uh, th- that's the Greek word. It means to, to declare, to, to speak for God, to predict the future, or to speak for God to people in his name. So there's those two kinds, and I believe that there can be false prophets in either one of those, false prophets that are telling you the wrong things in the name of God, and false prophets that are predicting the future, and it doesn't come to pass like they said. And I'm going to show you today what a real prophecy looks like. Peter warned the church, but there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers. Where, everybody, read it with me. Among, 
Are you looking up there? Y'all are looking at me. All right, come on. What does it say? Where will they be? Where will they be? False teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. So the Lord Jesus wants to protect you and me from false teachers and false prophecy because, see, if you get exposed to false stuff, you may say, well, nine things they say out of ten is right, so I'll let the one go. But if the one is major, if it's a major Bible truth, something about Christ, something about the end times, something about Christian living, something about morality, if it's a major miss, then it can carry you away from Christ, away from fruit-bearing, into darkness, into deception, into ultimately ruin. And guess what? If you get affected, everybody in your orbit gets affected. When parents get into false teaching, they're going to drag their kids into false teaching. When, when, when a grandma or a grandpa gets, gets involved in false teaching, they affect the whole family under them because they begin to share the false principles. And if you don't know your Bible, you're brought into it yourself. And your whole life can be, I have seen personally, I've pastored long enough to see uh, families completely destroyed by false teaching or are completely misled. They're believing things from God that God never promised them. They're believing things about Christ that are not taught in the Bible. They have been led astray by false teaching because they didn't know their Bible. So Jesus says, beware, watch out, four times in one chapter. So the first thing Jesus says to us as his followers is judge a tree's fruit before eating from it. Like that woman with the apples. I ain't eating this thing until I've checked it out. And I'm not walking out of the store with this until I've checked it out. I'm not paying for it until I've checked it out. It's not going to become a part of me until I have checked it out. And yet we listen to anybody and anything that says they're a prophet, says they're an apostle, all these titles they like to stick on themselves, um, some of them multi-titles. But you go, wait a minute, if this is what you're saying about yourself, then I'm supposed to pick the fruit in your life. Yeah. If someone comes to you claiming to be a prophet, a spokesman for God, either speaking the word to you, you're supposed to look past the leaves and judge the fruit. Are worms in it? Is it bruised? Is it ripe? Is it real? Is it genuine? Would it make me sick if I eat it or is it going to make me healthy if I eat it? We're supposed to be discriminating that way. You say, wait a minute, Jeff. Now, Jesus said, don't judge. Oh, please, let me talk about that a minute. Jesus said, don't judge. Yeah, he did. But that's the most misrepresented, misquoted uh, uh, statement of Jesus, I think, of all that he taught. Sinners love that one. People who want to live in their sin, and you go to them to talk to them about it, they don't know any of the Bible, but they know that. The Bible says, don't judge. You can't judge me. They love that one. They pull that one right out. They say, Jesus said this, so you can't judge me. But they don't understand what Jesus was talking about. Because there is a difference between non-judgmental and non-discerning. Jesus was talking about don't involve yourself in hypocritical judgment. And he kind of made a humorous illustration. When he said, judge not that you be not judged, 
Here's what he went on to say, what those that quote it don't know. Why, Jesus talking now, why do you notice the small piece of dust that is in your friend's eye, the sin in their life, but you don't notice the big piece of wood that is in your own eye, the sin in your life? Why do you say to your friend, let me take that piece of dust out of your eye? Look at yourself first. You still have that big piece of wood in your own eye. You got a two by four in your own eye, and you're telling somebody, here's a big two by four in your eyes, and you're going to operate on somebody else's eye. Hey, if I'm in an ophthalmologist's chair, and, and he's going to come in and mess with my eyes, if he's got a big piece of wood over his own eyes and he's grappling for mine, he's not touching my eyes. And Jesus is saying here, he said, first take the wood out of your own eye. In other words, make sure your own life is clean before you go try to operate on the sin in somebody else's life. That's all. But he wasn't saying never judge because if you don't judge, you're going to be destroyed. I love feeding birds in the backyard. I've got a feeder in the backyard. And I've got blue jays and I've got doves and I've got cardinals and I've got sparrows and I've got all these little birds that'll come. But have you ever noticed when they're eating out of the feeder, they're doing this. They're always looking around. I used to think, what's wrong with that dude? What's wrong with that bird? He's acting all paranoid. No, you know what he's doing? He's being watchful because one day I was saying, why are they always this? They take one little seed and while they're chewing on it, they're looking around. And one day I realized, because one day when I was watching, wham, a hawk hit that bird feeder. And the bird that had seen him coming ducked. Now, that bird did not say, yep, that's a hawk. But I shouldn't judge the hawk. I shouldn't pass judgment on that hawk. Because he may not be after me at all. He may just be out for a, a good fly today. He's just checking out the scene. He does not have ulterior motives towards me. He surely does not want to eat me. And while he's thinking that, boom. No, they judge the fire out of those hawks. And as soon as they see one, they flee before the hawk strikes. And when they do that, they save their life. But Christians don't do this. No, we just sit there eating seed and the hawk strikes and even when they're on the way, we go, well, I don't know that I should call them a false prophet or a false teacher. They may not be. They say some things right, some things wrong. And while you're doing all of that, whoom, they get you with a false message. Jesus did say, stop judging, John 7, 24. Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. And so notice Jesus did not forbid judging, he just said, when you do it, do it right. There's a right kind and a wrong kind of judging. We're to judge the fruit of the people speaking into our life. Some of you are just looking at me like, wow, I haven't heard this before. And that's one of the problems. You haven't heard this before. Because so many Christians are being deceived by false prophets, false teachers. They don't know a false doctrine if it bit them in the foot. Listen closely to what Paul said to the Thessalonian church. Do not quench the spirit. Check. 
Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Check. I'm, I'm with those two. But test them all. Test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Test all of what? We're to test prophecies and the prophets that bring the prophecies. Test them all. And he assumed when you test it, some of it's going to be good and some of it's not. And that's why he's telling us, hold on to what you find to be good and reject what you find to be evil. So he's assuming that Christians are judging the fruit of those speaking into their life. This is not a Jeffism. This is not a Wickwire theology. I'm giving you what the Word says. Test means examine, like that woman did with the apple. Examine it. Uh, 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 are there worms in what they're saying? Are there bruises on this fruit? Uh, uh, is, is this fruit ripe? Is this not even the real thing? It just looks like the real thing? I'm going to check it out. Because they're speaking into your life. And, and it's not just going into your stomach. It's going into your soul that is eternal. It's going into your, your mind, which, which is, where you form your concepts and beliefs about God. Here's another one from the Apostle John. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test, examine the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets, there he goes again, have gone out into the world. Many false prophets. And that was in the first century. Now notice he says, test the spirit. That tells me this. When somebody stands in front of you, they have words, they're going to, and they're, I'm a prophet. You know, I'm a spokesman for God when they stand in front of you. Not only are they going to speak words to you, but there is a spirit on them. Test the spirit. Numa. That's the Greek word for spirit. Test the pneuma, the spirit. In other words, they're either speaking in the Holy Spirit or they're speaking from another spirit. And if it's a wrong spirit, that spirit's going to get on you. See, I pray every day when I stand here to preach to you, to teach you, I say, oh God, please anoint me with your Holy Spirit. And, and I'm very, very careful that what I tell you comes straight out of the Word of God, which was given by the Holy Spirit. I'm not interested in giving you my thoughts. I want to give you God's thoughts. And so there's a spirit on me right now. I trust it's the Holy Spirit. But he's saying prophets will get up and they'll say, this is what the Spirit says, when it's not what the Spirit of God is saying at all. And the way you know it is you check out what they said by what the Scriptures say. Or if it's predictive, you wait around long enough to see if it comes to pass. And if it doesn't come to pass, they didn't speak by the Holy Spirit. Hello, everybody. If it doesn't come to pass, they did not speak by the Holy Spirit. They might have had good intentions all day long, but if it didn't come to pass. <sighs> Let me give you a, what a real one looks like. Let's take the greatest prophet of all time, Jesus himself. Greater than Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all rolled up in one. Jesus the sinless, perfect Son of God, prophesied all the time. He prophesied short-range, mid-range, and long-range things. So the long-range, we're still waiting for some of those to come to pass. But the short-range and mid-range, we can look at and see he never missed. 
Let me show you. In Luke's gospel, we're told about when he uh, is about to go into Jerusalem for the first Palm Sunday. So here's what he does. He says to a couple of his disciples, it says, as he approached, I'm reading out of, um, uh, well, I didn't write the verse down. It's Luke. I know it's Luke. Oh, it's Luke's gospel. Yes, here we go. Now, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. Now, everybody watch this very carefully. Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find. Now, those three words tell us he's making a future prediction. Now, you say, well, that's easy. Oh, really? Try this today. Try predicting something that's going to happen two hours from now. Try it and see how you do. Because here's a really short-range prediction. Jesus said, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find a colt tied up there. And then here's what you're going to find out about that colt. Nobody's ever ridden him. No human being has ever ridden him. No man has ever gotten on that mule's back. How do you know that? Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Now look at verse 32. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. Now watch. There's a colt. They do a little investigating. That colt has never been ridden by a person. How did Jesus know that? And you know what? The owner came up and said, why are you untying him? Just like Jesus said. And they said, the Lord has need of him. And they walked off with the donkey that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem. But I want you to notice, he knew precisely what they were going to find. He knew exactly uh, the history of the colt. He knew exactly uh, that the owner was going to approach them. And he knew exactly what he was going to ask them. And he told them exactly how to reply. He knew the future before it happened. That's real prophecy. You got it? Now, here's another one with even far, further reaching implications. Catch this. They were walking out of the temple one day, the last time Jesus would ever be in that glorious temple. And as they're walking out, you know the story. They're, the disciples are bragging on the architectural splendor of the temple. And they say, look at this, Jesus. Isn't this amazing? This, this thing was one of the wonders of the world. It was humongous. It was gorgeous. The sun reflected off of it at evening time, and it looked like a burning torch from a distance. The temple, around which all their religious activity um, was found. And Jesus looked at them and said, you see all this? Listen, let me quote it. Jesus said, as for what you see here, the temple, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. They said, huh? Every, what? This is going to be destroyed? Are you kidding me? And when they asked him when this would happen, Jesus prophesied and said, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you'll know its desolation is near. Now, the disciples, they hear this and they go, what are you talking about? What army is going to surround Jerusalem? All is well. We're in a time of peace. This is a time of peace. What do you mean an army is going to surround Jerusalem? But 37 years later, Mid-range, mid-range. 37 years later, the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem. 
And believers that were in Jerusalem at the time, remember the words of Jesus, when you see the army surrounding Jerusalem, you need to hit the trail, you need to get out of town, you need to head for the mountains. And so they remembered and they did exactly what he said. They fled and they saved their own lives because the Romans broke through. They slaughtered over a million Jewish people. They destroyed the city and they brought the temple down with fire and vandalism. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that not one stone could be seen standing on another. It was exactly as Jesus the prophet said. 37 years later. That's real prophecy. He didn't miss on anything. But here's the way false prophets do. Jeremiah 14, 14. Then the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, false divinations, false idolatries, and the delusions of their own minds. So there you have the difference between true and false. If they're true, it'll come to pass exactly as they said. Or if they're speaking to you in the name of God, you can find confirmation in the Bible that they spoke the word of God from the word of God. If it's a future prediction and it doesn't come to pass, they were only prophesying visions, divinations, idolatries, and delusions out of their own head and heart. That's it. If it didn't come to pass, it wasn't the spirit of God. Pick the fruit of their teaching. That's the second way, and I'm going to close with this. You've got to pick the fruit of their teaching. Not just is what they say, if it's predictive, does it come to pass? But the second way you can judge a false prophet, the fruit of one, is the fruit of their teaching. Now, you'll see two things about the fruit of their teaching, a different source and a different Christ. Now, listen carefully to me, because I may save your life, this word, not me, but the word may save your life, your family, your walk with God. A false prophet will have a different source. Their source is not the Bible. Many false prophets, you will note, are very gifted communicators. They're, they're eloquent. They're charismatic. They're funny. They're, they're, there's a certain awe about them. We go, ooh, they're a prophet. But I'm not moved by charisma anymore. I've been around too long. I don't care if you've got enough charisma stretched from here to New York City. I don't care. I don't care about charisma. I don't care if you're funny. I don't care if you're intelligent. I don't care if you've got 10 degrees attached to your name. What I do care about is, what are you bringing your message out of? Is it out of the Bible or is it out of your own heart? True teachers will reach for the Bible First, second, and always, when they stand to teach or preach, they will say, turn with me too. And then they will read a passage that they have labored over, studied over, prayed over, done word studies over, done context studies, have sweated over it, labored over it, and now they're going to tell you what God intended for you to get out of it. They're not going to read into it what they want their own theology to say. They're going to pull out of it what God meant for it to say. Are you with me? The requirement of a pastor is not to be a gifted communicator. Now, I'm not saying you ought to be bored stiff. But I am saying that the primary calling on a pastor is not to be a gifted communicator. But it is to be, uh, have the ability to teach the Word of God accurately. That's what every pastor, 
every Bible communicator is called to do. Teach it accurately. Now I can show you that it's true. The Apostle Paul told young Pastor Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Ashamed of what? Correctly handling the word of truth. I don't want to be ashamed. And how are you ashamed if I stand up and give you something and I've done a lousy job interpreting it to, to, uh, uh, to bring to you and I'm bringing it to you half-baked, half-shaken, half-right, and the Bible says I should be ashamed of that. i got to give it to you as it is, as God gave it, not as I want it to be. He told Timothy again, preach the word of God, not your own thoughts, not your own ideas, not some philosopher, not some popular author, but preach the word of God, the word of God, the Holy Bible. The defining mark of a false prophet or a false teacher is the twisting of scripture to mean something other than its intended meaning. False teachers begin with this. This is what the Lord has shown me. In a vision, a dream, a word in my heart, instead of, turn with me to this passage and let me bring to you what God intended for you to get out of it. No, it's all about me, my ability to hear from God, to speak for God. That's not what we're called to do. No. They bring a different Christ, and I close with this. True teachers and preachers will always bring to you the Bible Christ. False teachers, on the other hand, will diminish or redefine him to fit into the false theology they want to present to you. So there's the Bible Christ, and there's the made-up Christ. There's all kinds of Jesuses out there that have been made up. Oh, Lord. They're everywhere on social media everywhere. Jesus, I say, that's not the Jesus I know anything about. I listen to their prophecy and I go, say what? Say what? That's not the Jesus I read about. You made that up. See, any false teacher or preacher will always, always mess with who Jesus is. They will redefine, undermine, water him down, dilute, pollute him. They will, they will make him what they need him to be, not what he is. Did you know the Mormon tea, the Mormons uh, church, I don't want to call it a church, let's say the Mormons, teach that Christ was the brother of Lucifer? Did you know that? Yeah. Jesus is the brother of Satan. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus was not God, but was a created being. No, no, he wasn't created. He's always been. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. When the beginning began, the Word was already there. When the beginning began, the Word was already there. He's always been. Eternity past to eternity future. Jesus is God. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Ghost. One very popular charismatic preacher with a national platform. If I said his name, a lot of you would know him. I'm not into name dropping. But I am into pointing out false stuff. 
He's very well known, national platform. He teaches that when Jesus came to earth, he laid aside his divinity and performed miracles only, catch this, only as a man in right relationship with God and not as God. Now hold it, because this one's more subtle. The Mormons, we get that. Jehovah's Witnesses, oh yeah, that's clear. But this is a little more subtle, but here's the deal. Catch what he says. When Jesus Christ came to earth, he laid aside his divinity. And all the miracles he performed, he performed as a man in right relationship with God. So what he has done is he has brought Jesus down to the level of one of us. But folks, please get this. When Jesus was on earth, he was all God, all man, all man, all God. He never gave up his divinity. Now catch this. He gave up his privileges. When he left heaven, he gave up his privileges as God the Son living in heaven. But he never, never once, he never once laid aside his divinity. When he faced the devil, he was all God, all man, all man, all God. When he taught the people, he was all man, all God, all God, all man. When he hung on the cross, he was all God, all man, all man, all God. He never one time, when he took on our sin, my sin, your sin, and died in our place, he was all man, all God, all God, all man. He never once became an actual sinner. He retained his divinity. He never once laid it down. He is not like us. And, and, and this teaching is an ancient heresy. If you, do, if you knew your church history, you would know that the church dealt with this heresy in the fourth century, and they settled it. No, 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 no. He didn't give up his divinity. He was all God, all man at all times, all man, all God. He, he, he had that dichotomy the whole time. He never gave it up. But see, this false teacher is messing with Jesus. And if you believe what he said, then the Jesus you believe in is diminished and less than the Bible Jesus. That's why it matters. Yet tens of thousands of professing Christians follow him, buy his books, think he's great. I know I'm coming over strong. I intend to come over strong. Because I've been on this four weeks now. See, I'm a shepherd. And what does a shepherd look for? He looks for wolves. I'm not just supposed to get up here and give you three points and a poem and go home. I'm supposed to protect you. And, and that's right. I am. So watch this. If somebody stands up in front of you or is stood up in front of you and introduced as a prophet, locally, nationally, in a bookstore, on media, you're commanded. Test them. All you got to do is go to social media and type in their name. I'm not telling you to be a heresy hunter or to be a dirt digger. That's not what I'm telling you to do. But I'm saying you can easily go see what others have discovered about them, what their prophetic track record is, and find out what they teach before you bite the apple. You ought to live this way. <laughs> I'm looking around all the time because there's hawks everywhere. Can we stand together?
I could write a book on this. I really could. It, it's frustrating because there's so little you can say in such a short time. Maybe I will. But how many of you know this is a need now? Do you, do you know this is a need? Every, there's, there's self-proclaimed prophets everywhere. But some of them have high-profile positions, and they're known across the country and around the world. You say, well, doesn't that show that God's with them? No. 400 false prophets were in the time of Elijah. Only one was right. Four hundred false prophets falsely prophesied to Jehoshaphat and Ahab to go into a battle. Only one was right. Numbers don't mean a thing. Excitement, lights, action, fog, smoke, uh, charisma, sparklers. That doesn't mean that what you're listening to or what you're attending is of God. No, my experience is the real deal is very meek and mild and humble. No pizzazz. Don't talk about me. Let's talk about him. You don't want to talk about him. I don't want to talk about me. False prophets, that's enough about me. Now let's talk about me. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Now, Lord, in Jesus' name, we just thank you for discernment for the, at least the common sense that that woman had checking out the apples. Help us to be even more discerning when it comes to taking things into our eternal soul. Can you pray with me, church? Say, Lord, give me discernment. Give me wisdom. Help me to choose what is good and reject what is evil. Jesus' name.